Well, grace, mercy, and the peace of our God be with you this day. Amen. So, we missed out on an hour of sleep, so I just figured maybe we could get comfortable and have a little chat. This couch used to be in my office, actually, when I first got here, and then um, through the course of, like, there was a donation made of a nice green leather couch with a a chair and an ottoman. That's in my office now. (laughs) This one ended up moving to, to the youth office. I'm not exactly sure what I'm sitting on. When I was a kid, we had a couch in the living room. And I don't know why it was called that, because we really didn't live there much. Did you have that kind of space? The formal living room, which should have been called just the formal room? We had this couch. It was white and had some kind of blue stripes or something on it. I remember there was a texture to it on the fabric. One time I came home from baseball practice and I sat on that couch. Not a good idea. That couch didn't get used a lot, but when company came and when we had some kind of event, then that's when we would be in the living room and people could sit on the couch. And usually around Christmas, we'd have our Christmas tree in there and we'd open gifts on that couch. The irony is my parents moved to the house just down the road. I think I've shared that story. And they went from a fairly large house where they could have a living room and a family room to one that just had one kind of living space on the main floor. And that couch, because it was still good, ended up in my dad's man cave, which is in the basement of their house where they live now. Not quite the same environment for that couch that it had. Why are we talking about couches today? Think about the couch where you spend some time, the one that's probably in front of a television set. Maybe you have snacks or even eat meals on that couch. You have that one in mind? You know what it looks like, right? The question about the couch like that is what's under the surface. Because life can be a bit like, well, a couch. We want it to look good on the outside. We want it to seem pristine. We try to look good on the outside, but inside is a bit more real, right? What happens when we start to look under the surface? Oh, some candy wrappers, some spare change, and a paper clip. Oh, here's a, here's a Gatorade, more wrappers. Oh, a sucker, Kit Kat. Life look like under the surface. Thinking about the the couch that you have, where you spend time, would you would you want a guest to come over to your house and start pulling off the cushions like I just did? Maybe not. Because for the most part, I would expect that we would all find things down in the edges of the couch. Maybe some crumbs that you have a hard time identifying. Maybe the remote control 
when we had this couch in here this morning, that was already suggested, that maybe we'd find a remote control in it. Jesus liked to mess with the Pharisees a little bit. And in um, the gospel reading for today, he's at the home of a Pharisee, and there's the conversation, right? And Jesus is like, well, sorry, the Pharisee is looking at the woman and like, well, why would he let this woman even touch him because she is a sinner? That's the attitude the Pharisees sometimes had. Luke chapter 11, verses 39 and 40. Again, Jesus is having a, a meal with a Pharisee, and the Lord says to the Pharisee, Now you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup or the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You fools. Did not he who made the outside also make the inside? See, the, the issue then was hand washing because Jesus didn't wash his hands before he ate. We can have the same attitude as the Pharisees sometimes, though. We want to look all put together. We want to, you know, put on the face, right? I think my mom used to call it that. I'm, I'm putting my face on when she would be doing some makeup, right? But don't we do that? I mean, even if we don't wear makeup or much makeup, we kind of put on the face to be out in public, to be out where people are going to see us, to be where people can observe who we are, what we look like, what's life like. We want to have that face. We arrive even here and we're shaking hands and we're smiling and we're wanting to portray at least that we've got it all together. It's hard for us to open up and be vulnerable and share the things that are really going on on the inside. Social media posts are probably the best photos of happy, smiling, fun. We might even wear Sunday best, right? You put on the clothes to match the face, to match the outside the way we want it to look. But here's what we know. Real life is messy, right? Real life is messy. Now, we try to push stuff down below the surface. We try to hide it in the cracks. We try to ignore it and pretend like maybe it's not that big. And maybe we forget or convince ourselves of what's underneath. And as long as we can put the brave and smiling face on enough times, then I'm going to start to believe it myself. I'm good. I'm, I'm fine. How are you? fine. Even as a community, we can mutually agree without even saying it that we'll ignore each other's stuff, that we'll let each other, you know, put on that face and, and we'll just return that like, you're, you got the face, I got the face, we're good and we're not going to ask, we're not going to try to peek underneath the couch cushions. But what happens? What if someone shows up whose couch cushions are stained on the outside in a community where everybody else looks like they've got a perfectly nice couch from the living room that you don't live in, right? That person could feel intimidated, like, wow, I don't belong here because all these people, have, they have it all together. They're perfect. But inauthentic community doesn't work long term. So we need to come to terms with the reality that there's junk under the surface. We need to come to terms with it and acknowledge it because Jesus didn't lay down his life 
so that we could be slaves to the past. Jesus didn't die on the cross so that we could keep carrying the junk around with us day after day after day, pretending like or trying to look like we've got it all together and we're good because we know. We know. What's under the surface is our first question for today. What is written in the sand is the second question. If you open up your Bible to John chapter 8, you'll find a story at the beginning of the chapter. If you back up into the end of chapter 7, it'll say that the earliest manuscripts don't include the very tail end, like the last few words of chapter 7 and into chapter 8. But it's a fascinating story. It's one that's likely familiar. It's well, pretty well known. Jesus is in the temple courts, and he's teaching in the temple courts, and the Pharisees bring a woman who was caught in adultery. And we know this, the woman was guilty. They had caught her. They had pulled the couch cushions off and dug out her stuff and brought it out for everybody to see. Let's do this in the temple courts. They make her stand there in front of everyone. She doesn't protest, though. At least the way John records the narrative, there's no protest, there's no accusation. She doesn't say a word. Maybe in her guilt. But in verses 4 and 5, here's what we read. They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, or in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? Here's a question. Why is there no man there next to her? You can't catch a woman in the act of adultery by herself. It's not the way it works. And in the law of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 22, at verse 22, the penalty for it applies to them both. But we may learn why there's not a man standing there because verse 6 tells us it's a trap. The Pharisees had set up to ensnare Jesus. So maybe whatever man was there was in on it. Let's have this set up. We need one of you guys to make this happen so we can bring the woman and trap him. You see, because if Jesus says, no, don't stone her, then he is setting aside the law. And Jesus can't do that, right? I mean, the law isn't set aside. Adultery is still adultery, and so he can't say, no, it doesn't count. And if he says, yes, stone her, well, then what about the grace and the mercy and the love and the things that he's been teaching and talking about? Where does that come in? So they've got him. Oh, they've got him, right? They're wrong. No, they don't. Jesus wrote something. Verse 6, at the end of it. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Fascinating. You cannot outwit Jesus, right? Ha, we got him in the trap. There's no way out this way. There's no way out this way. <laughs> and Jesus is like, oh, Okay. And he starts writing with his finger in the dirt. 
John, what did he write? Ah, <laughs> uh, come on. That's the detail we don't know. That's left out of the story. What did he write? I don't know. Maybe it was, uh, scholars speculate this stuff, right? Maybe it was a Bible verse. He knew him. He could have written down Bible verse, you know, pick something from Isaiah or the Psalms or something that connects to this situation and write it down. Hey, Pharisees, you guys should know this one. Maybe he's writing down several of them. And, oh, here's one. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I, you know, um, created me a clean heart, oh God. Uh, you know, judge not, lest you be judged. Like, there's all kinds of verses that he could have been writing down. Or maybe it was a doodle, like, you know, They'll get bored. They'll figure out that I'm not falling into their trap, you know. And there's a little tree. And here's a kid playing. Oh, and a swing set. I don't know. But maybe. Maybe he looked around and he thought, oh, I know you, Saul. And I know what you did just two days ago. Oh, James, right, you were over there. Pick out another name. Writing down the names and the deeds of the people gathered in that circle who were watching him and looking at her and picking up stones like this is going to happen until their names were in the sand. Maybe. We don't know. John doesn't say that, but that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense, like Jesus wrote that because a remarkable thing happened. Because Jesus says this, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And if you're looking down and you see your name and you see your sin and you see that stone, well, I don't qualify. I'm, I'm guilty too, right? And so one by one, they start dropping their stones because verse 8 tells us, and once more, he bent down and started to write. There was more that he had to say. See, the list wasn't limited, assuming that that is right, which it could be. But the remarkable thing that happens is no accuser remained. It's not that she wasn't guilty, It's that none of those accusations from those accusers stood the test. He who is without sin can cast a stone. Well, one by one, starting with the oldest among them, who just by time probably had the longer lists, the stones hit the dirt. And they walked away. They went away. Verses 9 and 10 tell us. And then Jesus was left alone with the woman, and he looked up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Because none is without sin. None of us can accuse someone else. Maybe you remember this from, I don't know, elementary school. Oh, don't point, because what happens when you point? Three fingers. That's why you got to point like this. It's you. 
The three fingers pointing back at you. I remember learning that as, as a kid. And When we point at someone else and we don't turn our attention to our own guilt, our own issues, our own problems, then we're putting ourselves in a position to judge other people and certainly making ourselves seem like, well, our couch is totally clean when it isn't. But we know this too, the accusations are still going to come. We're going to be accused, maybe not by other people, but the enemy's going to find us and whisper, oh, here's something you didn't do. Oh, this is something you did. And and maybe it pops into your head and and that guilt feeling because something popped out from under the cushion. You had it hidden, you had it pushed down in the cracks, and yet it still came out, and the enemy loves to pull things out and show them to you. Oh, remember, remember this. You thought you hid this down in the cushions, in the cracks, and you thought you had it buried, but here it is. You know what? There it is for everybody. And they're all going to judge you, and they're all going to condemn you, and they're not their rocks this time. The accusations are going to come. But our third question for the day is this, who do you know? Who do you know? If you've done today's reading already, um, you read a story that uh, Zach Zander shares about, um, about traffic tickets. I got a story like that. From the fall of 1991 through uh, about a year, I was um, touring with a band. This is the ministry organization through which Paula and I met. And um, the band that I was with had a van and a trailer, and we were touring in the end of October 1991. We were in Colorado, near Colorado Springs. Um, It's where Pikes Peak is. If you've ever been there, beautiful country. So it's the end of October, and you know we did a program on a Sunday night and packed up all of our gear and put it back in the trailer. And the probably pastor of the church thought, you know, that trailer is probably not safe sitting here in the parking lot without a vehicle attached to it. Someone might come and take it. So we need to probably take the trailer to some a home where people are staying. And a couple of us were staying on a house or at a house that was kind of up the mountain road a little ways. And the person who owned that house said, sure, yeah, we'll bring it to our house. We've got plenty of room. We can put the trailer there. It's fine. So we drove it up, took the trailer off. Everything's good. Monday was a day we had off, um, didn't go anywhere. So Monday it was sitting there. Well, overnight, Sunday night, and much of Monday, it snowed, which was really fun. So we played in the snow in Colorado, and we had snowball fights, and we had a guy in our, in our group from India. His name was Gideon, and he lived in southern India, where the average temperature was probably triple digits in the summer, and he had never experienced snow. So that was a really good time to have a snowball fight with a guy who's never even seen it, right? It was really fun. Until Tuesday morning came, and the trailer was there on their driveway, And that mountain road now had snow on it. And the sun came out, 
and it was not cold. And the person who had taken the van, um, she drove it up, hooked up the trailer. We're like, okay, here we go. Everything's good, right? What could go wrong? When I grew up, I um, lived in where we had apple trees and we had a tractor and a trailer. So I had grown up driving a vehicle with a trailer attached. This was not new to me. I knew what it was like. So I said, I can, I can drive. And we set out down the mountain road that, let me remind you, has snow on it. You see where this is going, maybe. Because the trailer is full of sound gear, it's not light. And this is one of those vans that has probably rear-wheel drive, and we come up and over a hill, and I'm going really slow, careful. And the weight of that trailer just starts pushing. And we're coming down this it's not even a steep hill, it's just a grade. And I realize I don't have a lot of steering right now. And oh boy, I don't really have any brakes either. And there was nothing I could do but watch the edge of the road get closer and closer and eventually, oh, don't worry, it's not a cliff. I lived, just in case you were nervous. But we did go off the edge of the road and over onto our side. Terrible. The only damage that was done <laughs> was to our van that was in the shop then for probably a month. No property damage, didn't run into any mailboxes, didn't damage the road, didn't you know, hurt anybody else. But the police came and they gave me a ticket for reckless driving. <laughs> I'm telling what are you talking about, reckless? There's a wreck right here. It's not reckless. Wrecked. Call it that. I got a ticket. And it was, it was like, ah, uh, I was being as careful as I could. I don't feel like I did anything that wrong. How can I be reckless driving? My dad had a cousin who was married to a man named Don Cordova and they lived in Denver, but Denver's not too far from Colorado Springs. He happened to be a judge in bankruptcy court, but, you know, it's still, he's a judge. Judges no judges, right? So there's a court date on the ticket, and he takes care of it. I would love to say he took care of it and there was nothing that, you know, no penalty, no problem, the ticket got torn up. Not quite. It was changed from reckless driving to driving with unsafe tires. It's a little better. Less points on the license or whatever the penalty was. Probably a, a lower fine. Who do you know? We have an advocate. This is in our reading from 1 John 2 today. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We have an advocate, one who will speak for us on our behalf, like a defense attorney who happens to know the judge really well because it's his dad. That's who Jesus is for us. The one who stands in for us in our place to say, this one's mine. 
I know him. And yeah, he did it, but he advocates for us before the judge that we can receive not just a reduced sentence, but our sentence is placed on him. And the penalty is paid. Your debt is forgiven. Your sin is atoned for. You go free. That's what our advocate does. So repent and believe the good news. That was Jesus' message early. And a message that John the Baptist had also proclaimed. And Wednesday we talked about a similar message and we looked at Psalm 32 verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. I pointed this out on Wednesday, that it's you forgave, that the verb is past tense in that. He forgave. Your sin is gone. Look look at somebody near you and say, you are already forgiven. Your sin is gone. The judge said, not guilty. So believe that good news. Receive that grace. Because this is the core message of the church. That sins are forgiven. That the things that we have shoved down into the cracks are already forgiven and paid for. And the accuser might bring them out and put them in front of us again and again and again, but it does not matter. That sin is gone. In the eyes of God, that sin is already paid for. It is over with. It doesn't matter anymore because Jesus paid the price for your sin and for mine. So who needs forgiveness? We all need forgiveness But Matthew chapter 18, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now, can you imagine Peter? He's feeling pretty good about himself right there, I bet. Because Pharisees were like, you forgive three times and that's it, no more. And so Peter's like, we'll forgive seven times. That's That's a good number, right, Jesus? That's like a completion number. You know, and seven, that's more than twice what those guys are saying. What's Jesus do? Jesus said to him, this is verse 22, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Oh, darn it. Missed again. (laughs) And what's that number? And maybe you've seen it 70 times 7. Different translations take it a little bit differently. That number means don't count. That, that means you're going you're gonna to forget the number before you stop forgiving, uh, forgiving. That means don't keep track. There's not a limit. Because have we experienced a limit in the grace of God? I haven't. And there's things I've done a lot of times, more than 77. Our list, if Jesus was going to write mine in the sand, he, 
it would take him a long time to quit writing, and it would be more than 77 if he numbered it. And yet I've received that kind of forgiveness, and so have you. And so when someone sins against us, this is the, it's a challenge, but it's the life we're called to is to be forgiving, grace-filled, grace-giving people. Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to say it before we commune. And listen today specifically for these words. As we, I know, I know, if you're like me, you can say the Lord's Prayer and think about something else because the word, it's just muscle memory now, right? I get that too. I'll be saying the Lord's Prayer, and I'll probably be thinking about, okay, right after this comes the words of institution, and I've got to remember. You know. It's what we do. But today, listen for these words. Like, hold on to your finger or something. Just remind you to listen to these words. Forgive us our sins. And what's, what, what happens right after that? As we forgive those who trespass against us. Ooh, yikes. Like in the same way? Jesus, are you serious? The same way that I forgive others, that's how, you, that's how I'm supposed to ask you for forgiveness? But sometimes I'm not so good at that. Yeah, because if you look in Matthew chapter 6, right away, immediately after teaching the Lord's Prayer, he's like, oh, by the way, I meant that part. That's a bit of a loose translation. Because he reinforces that, that as we've received that grace, as we've received that forgiveness, we are called, we are instructed to offer that in the same way that you have forgiveness, forgive others. It's going to be a challenging day this week, fair warning, <laughs> that we're going to be called, we're going to be invited in this process of Red Letter Challenge. One of the challenges is going to be to forgive somebody else, and maybe the person has hurt you bad, cut you deep. Maybe you've carried that for a long time. Maybe you've shoved that way down in the cracks where you think, oh, I don't want to pull it out because it's going to be painful. There's still sharp edges, and if I stick my hand in there, I might get cut again. hard. But as we've received grace and as we've received forgiveness, by the power of the Holy Spirit working within us, we can offer that grace and that mercy and that forgiveness to others. This week is all about forgiveness, receiving it, living in it, and extending it. Forgiven people of God, that is his grace in our lives. Amen.